Correct. Yeah, I'm not I'm not in this to try and be number one and and look at I I held back all of this because then in reality after one or two seasons of that, who's gonna want to buy imported babies from me? They're gonna be like, oh, he's just sending out all the junk. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Welcome to number 71, I believe, of From the Ground Up. As you know, that's never an exact number. But thank you guys I so much I stopped counting. <laughs> yeah. I think Owen was 69, so he got that mm. pleasure. Um, what did we have to talk about? Uh, we uh, Oh, we got a new snake yesterday. Oh, that was me pushing for you to do, yeah, the intro stuff. What? Yeah, you can talk about that. Okay. <laughs> um, yesterday, we got a new albino Cali King. So if you guys have been listening to our podcast, you know, we've been trying to like dip our toes more in the king snakes. I really like the king snakes, um, especially Cali Kings. And so we got a pretty one. And, and to be honest, I wasn't going to say that on YouTube because oh. I was going to put out a YouTube video on it. So if you don't Come know, on. Now you can still make a YouTube video yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, I still will. But I mean, you know, whatever, man. Sorry. <laughs> Um, I, I meant for you to talk about the t-shirts and the stuff that we usually say in the beginning. Oh, okay. Not giving out the secrets. Oh, our secret project, oh, you know. Albino so, cow kings never we, seen cause before. Because we totally didn't post it on Instagram today, <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> um, okay, well, thank you guys for <laughs> tuning in to our podcast. If you want to support us in the future, we always have t-shirts for sale on our website, portcitypythons.com. My favorite, the reptiles that looks like Rugrats t-shirt is still up there. And I think it's a great shirt. Um, we get a lot of questions about babies. We literally should have babies hatching in two days. And as soon as we are ready. Uh, that's kind of well I mean, it's, because it's that's guess- 55 days. It'll probably be six. It's a guesstimation. But we're yeah. hoping in two days. And then give it like a month. Shut up. I'm doing it. Um. <laughs> Two days, hopefully, we'll have babies. It's the and... last time I let you do this. Okay, huh? well, Dude. shut up. Um, and then, fuck, you made me lose my train <laughs> of thought. Um, as soon as we are ready to send those out, meaning like we got them feeding, like they're not crazy or dying <laughs> or anything. What the fuck are you? You're just. Um, then we will post them on the website. Why would for... anyone ever buy a snake from someone? They snakes just said... die. Shit happens. They oh know that. Oh my god, guys. Okay, snakes don't. Okay, as long as we got them feeding and we are happy and ready to sell them, we will post them on our website and we will also let you guys know when they post them on our website so you guys can buy them. I'm also going to be posting up the Miami and I'm going to be taking the list for those, the official list. So if you're in the chat, you get to jump on it. Miami if you're listening babies. to the podcast, Miami Okatee Babies. Did okay, I say something st- different? No, you just said the Miami. I'm like, wait, oh, yeah, we're Miami selling our Miami. Miami. Like, you made me scared that we're selling no, our no, Miami. No. Okay. I just want to let you guys know that we are going to be putting out the list for that tomorrow. I'm actually going to post a picture of her tomorrow and then make gotcha, the list. Because we have a so lot many of people, people have been really asking, into it. but I haven't actually put things on paper because i said i'm gonna wait until the eggs are about the hatcher to where i feel comfortable with doing that so i'm not counting my eggs per se um amazon links are below all of our youtube videos and our podcasts in the description there are going to be amazon links 
And is there anything else? No. Today, our <laughs> guest is Stephen Katz of SBK Reptiles. So, Stephen, can you give us a little overview of your company and what you're currently working with? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, currently working with carpet pythons and a lot of the Morelia complex. Um, that's my main focus. That's what I'm really into and enjoy. So if I wasn't able to sell a baby, I would still keep them because I love them. Uh, like many people, I got my start just being into reptiles in general. I remember being a kid and going hiking and looking for reptiles, seeing what I could catch, you know, little fence lizards, stuff like that. <clears throat> and so just having an overall interest and getting, you know, my first leopard gecko a four-year-old and keeping that alive, which is a big feat for most kids because they just kind of get it and a week later they're over it. So uh, pretty, pretty stoked for that. Not stoked for that, but like it just had the passion uh, going. Um, and then I went from keeping, you know, leopard geckos to chameleons, uh, different geckos in general and focus on snakes shortly after that so like when i was 10 or 11 you know i discovered carpet pythons and i was like i have to have those that's a so lot saved earlier up than i thought you were gonna say <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that was kind of the way i went um i thought ball pythons were cool but i honestly kind of thought they were boring and so i'll often joke about that um but i don't mean any harm by it you know i have a lot of friends who keep and breed ball pythons they're, they're really neat and so um yeah then i got uh uh my first carpet pythons around that age and i had to get rid of them and then i got back into it more around the time i was like 16 and started building up the collection and then um i started like really posting years later when i bred them um and so I don't know. I've been breeding them since 2012, I think, something like that, every year, producing more and more babies. And I just love it and enjoy it. Did you grow up in Southern California? Yes, born and raised. So you, I mean, I you must have just had so many reptiles growing up, like <laughs> be able to herp and, you know, find all this cool stuff outside. Yeah. Uh, as a kid, I went herping like with my uncle because my parents weren't really into it they supported the hobby but they didn't know about herping and where to go look and so i went with my uncle but like more often than not we didn't find snakes i often found them just hiking and not looking <laughs> uh -huh. so it was kind of kind of funny um doing that but the california and socal reptile industry is pretty big yeah so what made you go from, even at that young age, from four-legged creatures to snakes? Um, I don't know. Knowing that you could, it's easier to keep multiple, like a big collection of snakes versus a big collection of lizards. Um, lizards, it's not that all lizards are hard. It's just when you compare them to snakes, they're a lot more work, in my opinion, of course um snakes are just so easy and after i saw carpet pythons it was just like boom it was nothing else 
was on par with them. So was that your first snake that you got at 11? Yeah. Uh, Morelia breadlock. <laughs> breadlock? Yeah. How expensive were breadlock at the time? They must have been semi-rare at that point in time. They had they had come down in price already. I mean, it depends. Like, the market fluctuated quite a bit. Um, I kind of had an inside source, luckily, on getting them. Um, At 11? So I you got, got an inside source? <laughs> yeah, I've always been kind of a... <laughs> yeah, that's a good I, observation. I, I've been, uh, I don't know, very social. And so, like, I've always been a sponge. And so I've gone to, you know, different people, compare, ask around, and... <laughs> Melissa just spilled beer all over herself if no one saw. Smooth. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, sorry to laugh, but it was a little fun. No, you have yeah, to. Have... You got to acknowledge it and then move on. I can't move on. You <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's a big mess. So, what kind so, of social circle are you going in when you're alone? Um, so, like, the, there's a local. Uh, shop near me here in Southern California. It's uh, Amazon Reptile Center in Montclair. Um, same owner, same location since 1999. And so the owner has been super cool and just kind of helped me out. And I get the inside scoop kind of hook up on pricing and stuff like that um, and talking to him and, you know, forming that relationship um, and getting pointed in the right direction. So... When you got your first bread line, did you get a pair? Did you have plans on breeding or did you just want to keep them at that point? I got a pair. So um, in terms of like how I am, it doesn't matter if it's goldfish or birds. If I get one of something, it needs to be a pair. I want to learn how to breed it, why it breeds, what you need to do to make it breed. Like the whole breeding aspect of animals fascinates me. Um and so it's not even like, uh, oh, if you breed it, you can make money. It's not that. It's more so like learning about it, getting that process down. Um, that the whole thing, you know, hatching stuff or live birth just fascinates me. And so anytime I get anything, it needs to be in pairs. So to answer the question, yeah, I got them as a pair and uh, I had plans of breeding them and that didn't happen. So what happened? Did you get more snakes? Did you grow that pair up? Where did you go from there? I was growing them up and then um, just due to like life happening. Being I had a to get fucking 12-year-old like, kid. <laughs> yeah, pretty much not having much of a say. Yeah, I had to uh, get rid of them. So I had to uh, downsize on my collection. Just space was, uh, space was an issue and, you know, getting ready for like, high school and all that stuff like the transition it was um like i said not my choice and so it just happened i had to get rid of them so i didn't keep snakes for you know a couple years and then i was able to get back into it awesome yeah i know when i went into high school i stopped caring about like snakes and then i picked it up like halfway through college so i think kind of uh even at that age i don't know many people who care about anything but like having fun or just being a, you know, 14 to 18 year old kid. But that's crazy that you're into it so young. So when did you pick it up back up again? Um, I think I was probably about 14 or 15 and I started building up the collection again. Um, I was able to uh, then get like racks and stuff. And keep in mind, all this was also hard to do because I wasn't old enough to legally work. So a lot of it was 
helping neighbors and family move from one place to a new place and, you know, get some cash uh, flow that way. <clears throat> um, so it took time and I just saved money. I didn't spend it on anything else. I didn't buy clothes and shoes and stuff like that for myself. Um, like a lot of kids do because they want to, you know, look cool at school. I just took, uh, you know, the plain Jane stuff that my parents would provide me with and saved my extra money for reptiles. And so I started getting racks and was able to keep more snakes in a smaller space. And, and that's what you, made it work. Did you stay with Moralio once you kind of got back into it? So for a long time I did. And um, let's see, in 2013, I believe it was, 2013, 2014, um, I actually started amassing ball pythons. I think in like... <gasps> and I. I know. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone, okay? I'm trusting you guys with this. <laughs> no one's <Not> listening. No. <laughs> um, it, I, I keep in mind my uh, Morelia collection was pretty big at that size, you know, a good size. And I s started adding ball pythons. And in two weeks, I think I added 13 ball pythons. Um, for someone who didn't keep any ball pythons at the time and was keeping my carpet collection, wasn't downsizing that. I just had plans of uh, particular ball python projects that I envisioned, and I was like, I want to make that. Um, one of them was actually a genetic stripe butter. I had seen one, and I was like, wow, I really want to make that. You know, it's a really pretty ball python. Um that never happened. I ended up getting, you know, kind of bored with them and people joke and make fun of me for it. And I ended up, uh, I traded some ball pythons out for more carpet pythons. And then like the last of them, I just gave to good friends. And I was like, I, I don't care. It's not a loss for me. I know I paid for these snakes, but I think it's a win because now I'll have more space and less of a ball python headache. Yeah, it's like once you go through like that first winter or that first female at like 800 grams that just stops eating forever, then you're like, fuck, my carpets will eat like any time I put a rat or mouse near it. So it's like, this is a lot easier. Um, yep. Were you attracted to other things? I mean, um, not just, I mean, I'm still talking to Moralia, but like, obviously you had bread lie. When did you start getting into jungles or pop winds, if we want to call them that? <laughs> uh, I personally still call them IJs or Aaron Jive carpet pythons. <laughs> um, to each their own. At the end of the day, it's just a common name, and so it, it just becomes a pissing match of what common name you want to go by. If you want to be more specific, just call it Morelia Spilota Harrisoni. But then even there's that pissing match that I don't want to get involved with or talk about. Really, um, <laughs> I'll just stay out of it and let the everyone else fight, and I'll just keep breeding snakes and enjoying them. But um, I don't know. It was I really started. So um, IJs were like my main focus. I don't really call bread lie carpet pythons because they're Morelia bread lie versus Morelia spilota. Um, but a lot of people do. And so whatever, I don't care. <laughs> um, so I got a lot of uh, IJs and I don't know. I, I don't think I snagged my first like jungle that I count until i think 2011 um i just was working with ijs for a long time and keeping those and that's been one of my main focuses of the carpets and it still is you know i'm actually i have some that i uh 
spot that are wild caught, stuff like that, different projects I'm working with. But jungles, I, I dove into in like 2011. When was the first time that you were successful with IJs? Um, actually trying to breed them uh, was 20, I think 2012, 2013. Um, I was just keeping them and then I was a believer of like your females need to be like 2000 grams and all this nonsense that I was reading and different things like that. And um, people were like, no, IJs will breed smaller. Like, you know, they don't get as big. I was like, really? Like, so I could have bred these things like years ago. And they're like, yeah. So then I tried breeding them and was luckily successful. You know, I always joke that carpet pythons are really easy to breed. And I don't say that in a cocky sense at all, because I feel like there's things that I would not be successful with. And other people would say, like, that's way easy to breed. Um, and so I think I just have success with carpets. Yeah, I mean, it's something that you know and you're specialized in. And, I mean, I hear mixed things about IJs. Some people say that they're more difficult to keep than, say, your coast or your jungle. They Or they need to be kept a little bit differently. I mean, what do you think as far as the the hardiness and then how you keep them in breeding and stuff like that? Um, I would say unless you're getting, like, a field collected animal excuse me um they're all going to be easy and for the most part i'll keep them the same now that's not entirely true because i don't just see it as like this is an animal i'm gonna breed and it gets thrown in a box so at different times of the year or whatever i'll put particular animals on particular bedding so that way it could contrast well look really nice i'll wrote uh when i do you know like a really deep cleaning I'll rotate animals from a rack to a cage so that way that could be on display for a little while and so I could see it and enjoy it. Um, but o- overall, I would say I keep them the same. You could keep them on anywhere from like newspaper, paper towel to cypress mulch or shavings. Um, but they do soak a lot more than other carpets. That is true. So you'll always think you have snake mites. <laughs> so do you think you need a water bowl big enough for them to fully submerge in it? I would advise it, but and in terms of need, like they're at the end of the day, they're snakes, so they're shy creatures. So they do want to feel crammed into something small and tight. Um, but a bigger bowl, only halfway filled, um, is very helpful. So that way they don't flood it or the cage. And then some people would say, hey, your snake obviously needs more humidity if it's soaking all the time. Um, have you messed with like, keeping it higher humidity, lower humidity, does it matter? Does humidity seem to be an issue? So for me, I have experimented with that. I have um, introduced like a moss box that was like really wet. And then um, uh, an area of like another tub. I I had three containers in there. Um, One was really sopping wet moss. Um, One was... uh, dry cypress mulch and then the bedding was actually moist cypress mulch and then um, a deli cup of just water and it chose the deli cup of just water (laughs) and it's like all three deli cups were clear and so you'd think if it wanted to hide it would go somewhere else but no it still went into the deli cup of water wow i wonder what that says about their activity and keep in mind because somebody will will say this was just one time, one experiment, one snake, one small tub. Um, 
that I did that, but that was my personal observations. Yeah, I mean, it's a snake hobby. You do it once, and then you call it law, and then get mad when people disagree with you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, one and done, that's good enough. Yeah. (laughs) So, what do you do as far as, I guess, let's get into how you keep your carpets, which I guess includes your IJ. So, how do you keep hotspot, ambient, all that good stuff? Um, so I used to keep them, I'll talk about how I used to keep them and how I keep them now. Um, I used to keep stuff a little bit hotter, like, uh, a hot spot of anywhere from 90 to 92. And I was like, well, then they'll just eat more and grow faster and stuff like that. Uh, regardless of like how many times a week I'm feeding. So some people think, oh, you're just slamming them with food. No, I would still feed most things once a week. They would just always be hungry because their metabolism is going. Now I keep things a little bit cooler um, and they'll still eat the same. It's just, I don't know, I like it more. And so a hot spot now for me will be anywhere between 84 to like 88. And I'll kind of rotate it with, uh, you know, my thermostats and set them up on timers. Um, but across the board, I keep everything like that now in terms of a hot spot. Okay. So I don't do anything different from like one um, subspecies to the next. And just me personally. Did you change your tune on getting your females 2,000 grams? Yes. <laughs> so in talking, but a lot of that isn't just like, oh, my personal observation. I've talked to different big name breeders. Um people who have bred one time people who have bred a handful of times you know because i feel like you could always learn and find out more and what works and how do you know what works if you don't know what doesn't work um and so now a lot of females i'll breed probably right around the thousand to 1400 gram mark which a lot of people would still consider small um you know one story i talk about is i had a female that was like 900 grams and her sister was um i think a thousand to 1100 grams and the one i ended up breeding they were the same age was the 900 gram female because she had a look like i could breed you know she produced follicles when i palpated her um and the other one just didn't look quite ready even though if you go by the book um the other one was bigger and had more weight yeah is there um are some of these wild caught or do you know how old they are? Does age play a factor? Um, I think age does play a factor because here in captivity, we could get anything up to size in 18 months in reality. If we slam it with food, I wouldn't advise it. And so in theory, it would be up to size, but I would say breed females right around three years, three to five years. Um, and probably right around that, 1200 gram mark a thousand gram mark um and to touch base on what i just said i wouldn't go telling people to breed their 900 gram females (laughs) i mean this is something i'm constantly checking on my animals i'm palpating you know it's something you learn to look for and so it doesn't make me a professional but right it was it was something that i had witnessed and she didn't have any problems laying eggs she didn't have problems getting back up to weight um but I don't breed all my females at 900 grams just because one female did it. It was just she looked ready to go and she did it. 
Yeah, there's this thing. I made this whole video about how big corn snakes need to be to breed. Uh, shameless and, plug, uh, shameless plug. Made this. It's like the 300. They need to be 300 grams to breed. And I've never weighed a corn snake before. So I took one of my females and on video, and I put in the video, weighed it out. It was 180 grams. I was Ooh. like, oh, okay, Ooh, well. I, I don't want She laid a healthy clutch. It was the Miami Okatee. She is and the she's smaller. Fat, though. She, she's small, but she's fat. She, and fuck it. I don't know. It works. She's like four years old. She's ready to go. But so we always like, talk about it's the two of the three, right? Because it's th- 300 grams, I usually three just years, like age, and that's a what's the third one? For corn snakes. 300 Length, grams. But I don't even care about uh, that either. That's crazy. I didn't realize ours are only 180. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's way like smaller than. <laughs> but people, I think the overall thing is that um, people just keep their snakes probably too big. Right. I don't know if you um, feel the same way. <laughs> I'd agree. I mean, how. How big is the average man? You can make people 800 pounds if you feed them that much. Um, you probably shouldn't have a 800-pound human. And so same with snakes. How big are they in the wild? How often are they eating? Um, I'll feed some of my babies sometimes twice a week, but my adults, I'm feeding about 12 times a year, sometimes less. Even my breeder animals, and they're not thin. They are lean. Um, but they're producing every year and they're throwing big, healthy clutches. It's not like they're laying four, five eggs. That would tell me something different, but they're still pumping out, you know, 20 plus eggs. So I don't think in my opinion that I'm doing something wrong. What would be your, um, cues as far as this animal's healthy weight, this animal's too skinny, this animal's too fat. Is there anything that you kind of look for to signify that? Um, too fat, I would say you could just kind of see it. I'm sure you guys keeping corn snakes have seen a fat corn snake. Oh, yeah. You know, when you can something see that eats between small the rats. scales and yeah. yeah. And then yeah. you're like, is that gravid? It's the wrong time of year. Nope, just And, that. like, its tail looks like it doesn't even belong to the same <laughs> snake. It's like a tiny yes. little tail, a big fucking sausage body. It's the worst. Right. And so you've seen that. Um, so I would say that for a carpet python, I hope I never really see one that big. But like, I don't know, just a, a slug. Just picture a slug. Um, I feel like carpets, and, they'll just get like 10 feet if you feed them a lot. Like they don't get like terribly obese. <laughs> I've never seen one that's like too terribly obese, but they're just fucking huge. And you're like, that's too big. Right. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think I don't know. Maybe it's because all the people that would overfeed. Um, are too afraid to get bit by the snake, so then they don't feed it enough. And so it just is an equal balance, and then they end up getting rid of their carpet later. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen a big slug, luckily, but I've seen slugs in, like, other things, ball pythons and corn snakes, and I'm like, wow, that's really overweight. In terms of too lean, um, I would say for, like, any snake, you could see its spine and that triangle look instead of that rounded over look. Um I have seen that for sick snakes um, that people have asked me to like fix, which is like, I'm not a vet. I'm just going to take it to a vet. <laughs> Wait, they're like, what, do something? Like, what? Yeah. People say that they, because you have, a, you know, a bigger snake collection, they're like, oh, fix this. And it's like, 
uh, just needs a vet, you know, like, how about just, you, you take my sick snake, yeah. put it with your healthy snakes and then fix it. <laughs> wow. That's one we haven't gotten before. I'm yeah. glad. Like, thank God. Well, uh, no, I would shut that shit down. I'm sure you do too. Like, <laughs> For the most part, I just turn them down. I just say like, oh, this is a vet I use. But I tell them, I try and always explain it like, this is what I would do. So you could do the same. And then they're like, oh, okay. Like, you don't have anything you could do to fix it? And I'm like, no, no. I'm not a vet. Like, <laughs> like, and I'm not isn't... like Houdini. I don't like yeah. put a spell on their fix. Like, what? You'd be surprised how many bearded dragons people offer me. I'm like, I don't even keep lizards. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh. Um, so yeah, I've I've seen thin snakes come in like because uh I've had Erian Giacarpet pythons imported um through different brokers and it doesn't matter, it's not the broker's fault, it's not um the importer's fault, it's the guy out catching them or how they're set up at the facility over there and taken care of because in reality I don't know if they're kept over there um on a farm for two years or two days before they get sent over here. It's just the truth. But I've seen some thin ones and most of them luckily have bounced back and started eating. And that's why I've continued to have them imported because I'm not losing um, a bunch. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to get back to that. Just someone in the chat asked, um, why do you maternally incubate over artificial? And I don't know if that's an absolute truth. I didn't know that you maternally incubate. If you do maternally incubate everything, but take it that. Not me personally, my snakes do. <laughs> you but, mean you don't um, shiver around I like it. them? <laughs> yeah. Naked? Um, I, <laughs> I can't say that. I don't know. That's a tough one. I go back and forth because um, like this year, I, j I actually just got back from um, going out of the country to Mexico last week. And so my first two clutches hatched uh, last week while I was um, out of town. So I had my brother stop by, check them out, and help out. So I wasn't able to do maternal incubation because it's a lot easier to take care of new hatchlings when they're all locked in a little container versus fighting off a mom and they're all scattered across a cage. Um, <laughs> so I didn't want to do that to my uh, brother who, you know, is just helping me out. Yeah. Um, in terms of how I decide it's little things like depending on time of year i kind of do the math and i'm like yeah i'll be in town so i'll allow the female to do it um i see that in the babies generally hatch bigger they tend to do better um there's people who would argue that and just say you're incubating wrong or something like that at the end of the day um i would say my reasoning is i i find it fascinating um, the females know exactly what they're doing and it's just amazing and it doesn't get, it doesn't ever get old. And does it take longer for the animals to hatch with the female than it does in the incubator? I've had both. So I've had females where the eggs started hatching at like day 58 and artificial incubation eggs started hatching at like 62 days. Um, and so there's little plus or minuses. Some people would say it just depends on um, the type of animal, whether it be like jungle, IJ, or breadlie. Um, I haven't noted that. Like, I don't keep track of that in terms of like this pairing. Um, I'm doing artificial this year and see how many days it hatches. And then I'm going to do a repeat pairing and do maternal and see how many days, it, you know, 
I just kind of see a general day or count. Um, the other thing I wanted to actually touch on um, is people talk about not doing it because of females. It takes a lot out of them. But again, them being in captivity, we have literally an unlimited amount of food that we could give them. Now, due to your finances or something, maybe you can't pump them up with food. That's something personal. But in theory, we have the resources to feed the snake every day for a whole year. You know, there's an unlimited amount of rodents that we have access to. And so it is easy to get a female back up to weight for the following year to breed with no problem at all. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would be a bigger problem in something that doesn't eat constantly. But if you have a female that slams food, I mean, I don't know if you have any problem feeders or anything like that in your collection. Like, obviously, you don't want a female that isn't slamming food to maternally incubate, it wouldn't seem. So I had, um, how did this go? I had two females both happen to be jungle types and i say type because lineage is a big thing and i like to be more correct than not <laughs> um anyways they were both mouth mouse eaters and um they both laid their clutch of eggs i pulled the eggs and they hatched both females were like nine years old because they were mouse eaters well as soon as i pulled the eggs and they had their you know shed cycle right after that the first thing they took was a rat. So I will say that you could um, get a female to switch to rats. And if she's maybe a bad eater, it will take her a longer time to get up to weight. But she might become a better eater after breeding, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, I've seen total shifts as far as females after uh, laying clutches and stuff like that. So, I mean, that kind of makes sense. But the, the jungles seem to be hard to get off of. Uh, I would do, uh, when I was first beginning, I didn't know that there was a difference between rats and mice. And I just threw a mouse in there and then it yeah, took me a long like time that. to get her back on mice. And then I have a male who's on mice, but it's great because he's like the size of a corn snake and he's perfect. But um, yeah, that seems like just something to, to think about when you're maternally incubating or artificial incubating. But I wanted to get back into the like importing stuff and... Uh, so how do you go about, first of all, importing them? And then what do you do once you get them in? Like, do you treat them? Um, <clears throat> so it depends on whether the babies are farmed bred or farmed hatched. Um, and so to explain that term, it could be whether the – let's ignore the laws for a minute because some stuff – is not falling. Well, also, That's do you believe them? Whatever they say. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what I exactly believe, but there are two different things that happen. One is animals are collected over there in uh, Papua, and um, animals are bred on a farm. The eggs are laid, and then they hatch them, and then send the babies over. So that is one story that gets told depending <laughs> on who you talk to. Yeah. The other is. Um, they go out the right time of year, breeding season, and collect gravid females and allow the females to lay their eggs on the farm. And then they um, release the female, hatch the eggs on the farm, and send them back. 
The other is they just find brand new young babies that are freshly hatched or moms on their clutches with freshly hatched eggs and just take those babies and send them over. What is right and what is wrong is out of my jurisdiction. I don't want to get into that um, because at the end of the day, how things are being done and what lie you're told is really out of your control, if that makes sense. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's a whole other mess. But, um, what was the original question? <laughs> I don't know. I want to play devil's advocate on that. So it's like someone is saying, Hey, like, why would you give money to this system? That's obviously they're doing sketchy things or they may be collected from the wild. So why would you continue to get stock from Indonesian farms when there's captive born babies here? Oh, that's a good one. So. To answer that question, the insight that I just gave is like the know-it-all, like knowing the true insight. That doesn't mean I support that. And part of that is knowing who your broker is and knowing what farm they're getting them from and knowing things like that. Are they trying to send animals that aren't on quota? Um, are they sending 50 animals instead of 30, which is on the permit? You know, stuff like that. Um Supporting that is supporting a bad um, overall market and industry. Mm -hmm. So I don't do that. But just because I don't do that doesn't mean I'm not aware of what goes on. Like the same thing. I don't keep green tree pythons, but I know that green trees are protected and on a no collect and send over list. And yet it still happens. And what are they called? They're called farmed hatched babies. But it's not true that they're wild caught adults. Mm -hmm. so and so it's just it's it's kind of about doing the research and knowing yeah and what's the advantage of bringing in this fresh blood into the hobby so for anyone that keeps up with it a lot of stuff is kind of mixed you could breed a ij and a coastal and some of the babies will pass one way or the other and so then you could just one would sell them as pure ijs or pure coastals um, or at a pet shop as unknown, and then it becomes pure later when someone says it looks like this, so it must be this. Um, in terms of bringing in um, IJs like I do, it's to have new blood. It's to be able to offer that. You know, our market um, is very limited in terms of outcrossing and what we do have available. And one day, um, you know, they're going to close up the gates and we're not going to be able to get IJs or other Indonesian animals because we see it all the time. Um, black throat monitors from uh, Tanzania, they used to be imported in the numbers and, you know, huge numbers. Now you can't get them. They're really hard to get. And you, I hear the stories of them uh, passing through Europe and then coming here, you know, and that's something I don't work with, but I'm aware of you know, what happens. And so if I could import, you know, legally, um, keep track of bloodlines, because we know now that's important, and offer that to others, um, I think it's totally worth it. And I constantly joke because I have ball python friends, and say, you know, maybe one day I'll get like that yellow belly or that dinker project, like, you know, and I'll pop up something. But Truthfully, I won't because I don't look at the the little things that the 
so many people who have found, you know, the little hidden gene things see. I don't have an eye for that. I just see overall picture, you know, its pattern or its color, stuff like that. I wouldn't see a little tiny, like a ringer on a het tied ball python. I'd totally miss that. I'd be like, oh, that's some, some weird star. It must have got hurt in the wild. <laughs> Sell it for what I paid for it. <laughs> I mean, they seem, though, to be more polygenic than a lot of the other carpets as far as um, you can get really red dominant animals, yellow dominant animals, like brown colored animals. I mean, it seems like there is a different variety. So, like, how do you pick out what are the best ones? How do you make sure that when you import them, you're getting high quality animals that you want to breed and, you know, do you get HD pictures? (laughs) (laughs) Um. I would say, truthfully, that's just how variable carpet pythons are. Um, We don't see a big difference here because, um, like jungles, there was only a handful of original founder animals that were brought into the country. And so all of the animals, most of the jungles, uh, go back to just a few founder animals. And so all the looks are going to be kind of based on that. if I import a group of 50 hatchling IJs, then yeah, we'll see a big difference because it's 50 different animals um, and potentially four different, uh, four to six different parents involved right there because one female isn't laying 50 eggs. Um, in terms of how I pick them, I, I just like variety. So I'm not, truthfully, I'm not cherry picking when I do these um, import deals. I'm doing it so everyone wins. Um, Only a select few are really into IJs. And so I'm pretty close with those guys. And so I'm making sure they're getting taken care of too. Because if I try and keep back everything, Murphy's Law will say, I kept back the best. And then it's going to die in my hands. Whereas if, you know, everyone gets a little bit of something, somebody will produce something cool. They'll remember they got it from me. We're going to be keeping in touch. And I'll just buy an F1 baby from them. So it's more of a communal effort than a lot of other snakes. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I'm not I'm not in this to try and be number one and and look at I, I held back all of this because then in reality, after one or two seasons of that, who's gonna want to buy imported babies from me? They're gonna be like, oh, he's just sending out all the junk. And if it was about that, I have different uh shops and outlets that I could just go wholesale junk babies too if that's what it really came down to yeah Uh, so yeah it it is a team effort believe it or not and you kind of touched on uh the jungles coming in with just you know a few founder animals and then we bred them to what they are today so is it possible that we have a maroon and bright yellow ij someday is that what you're going for or like just where you go with line breeding and what can we expect in the future or what would be the ideal ij truthfully i think ijs are are perfect as is like they're just really awesome it's hard to say because so many people who keep carpet pythons would consider a ij oh that's just a normal carpet python or that's a junk snake like that's they're just kind of looked down on truthfully um but it depends everybody has a different look like eric burke is working with um some ijs that um 
I'm pretty sure it's on his website. I hope he, I'm not blowing Melodistic. One of I'll project. blow it for you. Okay. <laughs> there well, you go. No, it's not. It's no. not that one. Believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> there's another it's, one. Um, so maybe you are blowing one. it. Holy shit. Maybe. Um. Anyways, we'll we'll say I'll make up a name for it so that way I don't blow it for him. Well, fuck, um, man. I want to know now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's on his website, but like a chocolate line. Um. And so depending on who you are, you would say, oh, like, that's too much brown for me, or that's too much this for me, that's too much that. And, you know, he also has, like, his lighter stuff, like his coastal stuff, the citrus line. Someone might say, that's too much yellow for me. It's all to each their own. Um, And so for me, I really want to work on, like, the striped stuff. Um, I know it's polygenic, um, but we could really refine that and make it better. but there's there's so much to do with them because we have new blood and we could just only make it better if we selectively breed. Color is one of them. Pattern. I have some animals that have this crazy, weird, busy pattern. Um, and so I'll try and breed that with something else and see what I make. So to me, the obvious route is make them more red or make them more yellow. Yeah. And it sounds red, like red, no red, one's red, doing that. Red, red, red. So I have an animal that was a very high red animal for a long time. And if you've kept up with IJs, um, they're kind of like crested geckos. They fire up and fire down. And it's hard to capture that in an image. Only a few people have been able to capture like the color change because even doing it, the lighting, like there's lots of variables. I've taken pictures over the years and I'm always trying to capture it. And I think I've maybe done it twice. And I take a lot of pictures of a lot of different animals. It's hard to do. Um, and so I do have one animal that has held its red. It's hard to show in a picture. And so I'm, that's one project, but it'll take a lot of time. So maybe in the next seven to 10 years. Seven to 10 years. That's long term awesome. thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the the I babies mean, the babies come out more red and then dull down as uh, as they age. Some would say dull down. I would say color up. I mean, yeah, it's it's a really red worm, but um, something that I don't know how many people do or don't think about, like scrub pythons from Indo, um, they have they hatch out red as well, and then they go through their color change. And their color isn't too far off from carpets. You know, their pattern's different, stuff like that. But you could see a lot of similarities in the color. And so one might wonder, why do the babies hatch out red and then go through a color change? You know, what's in that area that they live in that they need to be red, maybe, per se? Like, whereas a green tree python needs to be red or yellow as a baby to blend with, you know, those flowers and then go through its color change and turn green. It's stupid, but... I just kind of made the connection, like even bolins in Papua, yeah, or scrubs, or all these things start off more of a reddish ground color, and then as they age, kind of get more brown or tannish, so and black, and I never really noticed that until right now. Oh, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's like a leaf litter and stuff is reddish color. I don't know, but that's super interesting. Um, or maybe they're all the same snake. They're all IGs. Holy shit. They're all coastals. <laughs> <laughs> so are there, as far as, do you keep like granite or anything like that? Any yes. Mutations? So I, to date, I have 
every um, carpet morph that's publicly out there in the U.S. market, except for Caramel and Hypo. Caramel, I'm just personally not a big fan of. Is like that Super in the Caramel U.S.? I've never heard of it. I'm not that versed in IJs. But... Yeah, well, that's in Coastals. But yes, it's in oh, the oh, U.S. Oh, I thought you were talking about IJs. Okay, sorry. Um, I was talking about overall jeans. I have all of them except for uh, the Azanthic line of Coastals. Um, I have the Azanthic line IJs and Caramel and Hypo in Coastals. Otherwise, yeah, I'm, I have everything um in terms of the morphs um yeah just quite the variety granites and azanthics and that's it in ijs so ijs i've heard that you need to like keep the bloodlines pure like i thought that that's why people are importing to put them to granites so that i mean what's the issue there with the recessive and granite and outbreeding and stuff um a lot of people have had like adult females um, similar to the desert gene and ball pythons. They kind of drop dead after um, laying eggs or just before laying eggs. People have had that in pure IJ granites. So people are working on outcrossing them to ideally help with that. And so far, it seems to have helped. But again, this is in small numbers and science likes to have, you know, big numbers and a lot of record keeping. Well, that's the story with every snake thing we're trying to figure out. I mean, it's like right. almost every podcast. Ooh, I'd really love to, like, see if that's a true thing. But, you know, two people are doing it and there's no money to, like, actually get a sample size that's worthy. And so we're all just kind of, you know, either banking off one person doing it or just ignoring it completely i guess that's why it's good that they have a community of people that work at least if there's going to be people working out there's like at least a four or five hardcore people that are like willing to to do the work and kind of put in share that time with each other yeah right um yeah i have a het granite male that i think is like 50 percent outcross blood um, and so he's just 100% het, and I plan on breeding him to a uh, field-collected female to make a clutch of possible hets and see about going back, proving out that uh, which ones are hets, and then doing that one more time to uh, a proven... Once I prove out it's a het, breed it to a, another wild-caught animal and then find which one is going to prove out to be het, and then make um, make homozygous animals that I actually keep for my breeding stock. That is a fucking nightmare. Um, holy I shit. I think it'll work really well because I'm using a male, and so, like, I have a, a granite female that, you know, um, is an adult, and so I could use this het male, and then make a bunch of pos hats and just run um, the male possible het to an adult ready to breed female when the male's a year and a half. But so is, it'll kind of fast that, track the project. Is that important though that you don't put head to head or especially visual to visual? No. So in terms of the gene, there's no, there's nothing wrong with doing visual to visual, head to head, 
stuff like that. What people are seeing is that um, homozygous animal, so a granite female, lays bad eggs or slugs out, dies, um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's nothing, and nothing bad in terms of like where if you breed jag to jag, twenty five percent of them are going to be dead Lucy's in the egg. Right. So it's just kind of down the line. So do you think that it, it could ever, um, that you're going to, pr- that you're going to improve your uh, likelihood of fertile eggs and then the offspring being good by doing that, you know, going down and down the line and doing the posset thing? Um, you think it's ever going to be solved, basically, or are you always going to be swimming upstream like that? No, I think it'll definitely be fixed. I mean... And outcrossing anything, it seems to only make things stronger. Um, so depending on who you talk to, some people would say there's no problem with the granite gene. Excuse me. Even if there's no problem, outcrossing is only going to help. Um, we see we see problems with stuff just that are inbred for many years. And it happens so much with recessive traits because everybody wants to make the homozygous form cash in on the project excuse me um always joke that if i produce a new morph um you know only a couple of very close friends will know but if it would ideally be in ij's and i would just outcross the hell out of it um before releasing them so that way the start you know, the, the F1 babies that people are buying or whatever are really outcrossed as hell. Yeah. So you're just kind of, you're making certain. And the fact that... um But that's just me personally. Not everybody yeah. would care. They would just, oh, let's see how many of these I can make <laughs> and sell. Yeah. I mean, but that says something. And I mean, there needs to be people like that out there working in projects, even though it seems like what happened to where I felt like IJs were the things most commonly seen in the pet trade as far as carpet pythons. And then everything else, I guess, morphs came along and then coastals and jungles and all that stuff. But um, it seems like IJs were a big thing. And now, I mean, what happens if they close and then were there just people not working with them, not keeping them because they knew that they were always going to be imported? I... I couldn't answer that, like if there's people who didn't care in that aspect. But there's a lot of people who, like I said, they consider them a junk snake. They're just they're just brown and black. Like, where's the beauty to that? You know, when you could have black and yellow. But like I said, it's to each their own. Um, I I really like them and enjoy them, and so that's why I work with them. I actually personally don't keep any pure coastals because they don't do anything for me. They just get big. And in terms of color, they're not that pretty, in my opinion. And so if coastals were from a location that you could import from, I wouldn't care at all. I would just say, oh, I'm not into coastals. So I could see people not being into IJs, and that's why they kind of get put at the bottom of the list. Yeah, I think it's just crazy that we have these animals from Australia that at this point are more spread throughout our hobby here in the U.S. Than some without others. ever being imported <laughs> than fucking IJs who are being imported every single year. It's just right. kind of wild. So, obviously, you In mentioned- fact, yeah. to touch on that, 
um, when I, so I talk to different importers um, and ask to get IJs. A lot of them are like, why do you want that? Like, it's not a high, it's not a high demand snake. They don't get asked for it a lot and they have the ability to import them. Um, and so some of them, um, some of the importers that haven't dealt with me or don't know me um, have just straight up said no because they don't want to get stuck with them if I don't send them the money. Right. Um, because it's that hard of a sell, I guess, for them. Which probably goes to the point that they're plucking them out of the wild. <laughs> you cornered yourself. But, I mean, it is... I mean, someone's got to be getting these animals in and getting fresh bloodlines in. So, what going forward after the IJs and stuff, what... Um, we'll start with jungles, I guess, first. What jungle projects are you working on? Um... <laughs> so I have uh like my zebra stuff. So I'm growing up, you know, hold back zebras that I produce. Um a pair of super zebras. Um the female that I actually bought from a friend. But I'll be pairing super zebra to super zebra, um different zebra stuff, but that's kind of like a known trait. Um I'll be trying to work on producing my own striped jungles as well as acquiring some that are well documented um i have a pair of animals that was produced by uh doug price and they are lazic line jungles <clears throat> so that'll be really neat to see because they're like f1 or f2 animals in reality like looking at the the charts is uh the parents are very old and so he's just he's just kept breeding them and not holding back babies. Um, so they're not they're not really that many generations deep. So there's a lot that can be done once I pair them together. Um, that male actually was bred to a female Palmerston uh, jungle. So that's a locality of jungles that is known for producing a lot of high uh, a lot of striped babies, but their color is more of like a dull orange they're, they're not really bright yellow so i'll try and make some striped animals as well as add yellow to the palmerstons which some people would say ah you bred a non-locality specific to a locality specific animal and they'll be bummed about and others will say i don't care they're both documented pure jungles i want in yeah i mean that comes to the point where you're like hey i could get this bright black and yellow animal but you don't have proper lineage to where you can get maybe, uh, from my understanding, Palmerstons are more gold and black than bright yellow and black. So it's like, so you want to go for the sure thing rather than, you know, a designer animal or something like that. Correct. And then, um, I go ahead. I, I want to work with both though at the same time. Yeah. And I just want to put it out there and say like, Oh, this is what you're getting, and this is what you're getting. Um, one, like my profile picture on my Facebook page is my breeder male, Veloster, and he's technically a documented, undocumented animal. What that means is there's many generations in his history that is documented, but at one point you get to a part where they don't know what the parents were. And so if you looked at it, you would say, wow, that's a smoking jungle. But in reality, when you follow the trail, um, and pull the thread 
you find that it's unknown. So you can't guarantee if it's pure, you can't guarantee that it's not. Um, and so those animals really sell like hotcakes. And in my opinion, I choose pure, but I also like that animal, if that makes sense. So I work with both. I mean, in my opinion, and which I've been seeing for some reason a lot, is people saying pure jungles for sale. And that fucking, that drives me a little crazy. I don't know if you do that, but I mean, you just can't guarantee something's pure that wasn't, didn't come over to the country like well, in a correct manner. Line. You can't. So you're just saying nothing should ever be called pure? I mean, there's... A- I just could get called pure. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you- there you go. Like, if you're getting it from Papua, then... Okay, but, okay. Even if you can't go all the way back, there's a difference between one you can go three generations back and one you can't go any. That's a difference. Yeah. So we yeah. have to... But and then, you have to... Just, just don't call them pure because you don't... Know. So what? This three-generation level, that's what we're going to call it? Like... Well, no, you got to know for sure. Just don't call them pure. That's like a word that means 100% absolute. Like pure is Nobody's just, pure or anything. That's such a bad Nobody's yeah. pure anything. Nothing's pure anything. So let- besides IJs. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. I just like don't just say what line it is. And if it's pure by our standards, then it is. If it's not, it's not. So what- I mean, I'll say that mine's hairline, right? And then people say that hair kind of puts some diamonds in there sometimes and some are pure some aren't so i'm like all right well mine looks better than most of them so i'm cool with that i just like looking at them but at the end of the but day i'm not gonna call it pure but at the end sure. but see but at the end of the, ugh, I can't yeah, if, at the end of the day if you're someone who cares even if that person put pure you're gonna ask for that full lineage anyway yeah. no matter if they put pure or they not or they didn't put pure and then if you're someone who does it perpetuates can you let me Go. If you did, oh, if they put pure or not, and you're someone who cares, you're gonna ask for that lineage anyway. And then, if you don't care, you don't care. So why does it matter how they sell it? Because you're gonna ask for that lineage, and you're gonna know. And then a, you, when you get that lineage, you decide. Oh, okay, I'm cool with this. I'm not cool with this. I'm gonna buy. It, I'm not gonna buy it. Or if you don't care, you don't care. So why does it matter what that word they're putting is if you're gonna ask for the lineage anyway? Because some person who just got in two years, he buys it. Appear- there you go. <laughs> uh, that's exactly what I was gonna say. But they're it gonna buy that. People who don't know. Yeah. So but- so check it out. In in your scenario, that's perfect, right? Because someone who knows will do the homework. But someone who doesn't know will buy the snake and they'll get on the receipt, oh, it's pure. And later when they want to sell it or... But later when they sell um, it, the same thing will happen. That someone who cares will ask for the lineage. Yeah, but why don't we Uh just whittle it down to people who care or things that are labeled? But you're going to ask for the lineage no matter what. Right. and But you would be bummed out because you didn't know at the time when you bought it. You bought it as pure. And then you're trying to sell these animals and you made 30 animals and you thought they were pure and they're not and okay, the people the hardcore okay. people okay i get that i get that because when you're trying to sell so, it and someone asks for the lineage and like oh this isn't pure i'm not gonna pay the pure. i'm not gonna pay the pure money okay and that since I get it's it. not even the pure money they just uninterested they don't want it for free and then you're stuck with the babies and you're like what are you talking about like the guy who sold it to me said pure you know and <laughs> he's yeah. got a beard on him too. <laughs> um, but to answer your question, yes, I was actually one of those guys. I posted pure jungles, and then 
um, pulled the thread a little more and turned out the animals were like questionable. And it's like, for me, one might say like, oh, that's what you get, you, you know, put your foot in your mouth, blah, blah, blah. And for me, it, it was only more fire um, to like to keep burning to to push the pure argument to make sure that we document to make sure that we ask questions stuff like that because I'll I'll take a bad experience that happened to me and share it to help others learn from it I don't go and into the corner and cry about it and not want to share it and be embarrassed no it happened to me and so because it happened to me I could talk about it and explain and hopefully help someone else who is about to post pure animals for sale and then they'll say oh let me do a little more research uh these aren't pure let me just post them as what they are and they don't look like an idiot because just because maybe i look like an idiot once or twice or a hundred times doesn't mean somebody else can't learn from that and i keep them from looking like an idiot like that's how the community should be you should be willing to help someone else just because you look like an idiot once or a hundred times doesn't mean somebody else needs to try and teach them and yeah, and we should be able to say, hey, man, like, I understand that you thought that those were pure, but now you're saying you're not. Like, if you said, hey, I understand, I fucked up. So now we go back and we're like, yeah, dude, that's cool. That makes sense. Like, now we all learn what's pure and what's not. Why don't we just call things by lineage? I mean, that's what would seem to be the thing is just say, hey, this is this lineage, this lineage. Some people consider certain lineage pure. Some people don't. So I don't know. Right. But then you get into that gray area of whether you breed a documented animal that is pure. Let's say I take a pure new field collected IJ and breed it to an IJ Jag. Well, half the babies are going to be 50% pure. You know, and you could say you could take that one step further and say it's really a higher percentage because IJ Jag had some IJ blood in it. But if I call them, say, my line or uh, this is a parent, the parent, one of them was a field collected animal. Someone would say, oh, then they're pure, but it's only half the puzzle. Yeah. And so to call it by one line um, could kind of get that gray area because you're just using maybe the big name or the bigger um part of it and the other part is not even the same subspecies or documented i think this makes such a unique situation for carpet pythons at least in our hobby to the extent that it is that it's like so colluded and confusing sometimes i think especially probably for people coming into it but it's like shit all these things are carpet pythons, but you can breed them all together. And Moret, even bread like can be bred together. All these things. And it's like, um, and I think I don't, maybe it wasn't as frowned upon back in the day to put a, a jungle to a coastal. A lot of shit was not as frowned and... upon back in the day. Let's acknowledge that. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and a lot of the people, as soon as even the albinos, you saw those outcrossed immediately when they were pure Darwin, and it would have been sweet if we had. But there are a bunch of pure Darwins out there and stuff like that. But... Are they really pure? Do you have the lineage? Well, whoever <laughs> whoever brought them into a zoo, however the hell we got albino, you know, Darwins over here, I don't know, but I mean, they have a certain look to them in comparison to some of the others. Um, 
So like a lot of them have IJ and Breadlie and stuff in them. Not Breadlie, but mostly IJ. And uh, they come out like pink and yellow. And then the Darwins are more banded, Pure. like white and yellow, white and yellow, white and yellow. Hmm. But I don't know. To me, it's like, why would you? Your first thing is to be breed that thing to an IJ. I don't know. Maybe that's what you had laying around. Do you? There's a big. Go ahead. There's a big. This is all I had, and so I'm gonna throw them together. Excuse me. And then there's the greed that you hear about because, to an untrained eye, before I had seen Darwin's in person, I was one of those guys that said like it looked the same. But after having one side by side and actually not even side by side, but seeing one in person, you could see there is a difference, but it's, it's hard to explain until you see it. You know, if you just see pictures online, you're like, that's the same snake. (laughs) Um, And so then the greed aspect of you can make hats that look like they're pure hats and then sell them as that. And that's what happens. Yeah. So do you hold any line as far as um, where's your cutoff? Mine would be like, don't put bread lie into any of the other carpets or obviously rough scales and shit like that. But uh, do you have a Morelia line to where it's like, don't mix this with this? It's that's tough. I used to say, like, don't do bread lie to anything else. Like, just keep bread lie pure. Um but that's a tough one because I know enough people that may be interested in, say, um, a breadlie rough scale cross, right? Let's say I get 60 eggs, which would be a huge clutch. So let's say I get 60 babies in first year. I know enough people that before I do it, I would ask them, hey, would you guys be interested in this, whether it be me selling you a baby, baby or giving it to you for free? But you'd have to keep it forever. And I know enough people that I could trust that I would be able to maybe do that. But there's no, just because I tried to do that, I went that far and said, I know I could trust them. What happens when, as we've seen in the industry, people spontaneously die, whether it be to a car accident, um, health issues, or murder, um, like I most recently heard. Yeah, I just heard of a of a situation of a woman shooting her husband and his like rare reptile collection got split up. But, you know, some some something like that happens and that one animal that was supposed to be kept as a pet gets given to a friend or a you know, Joe Smo and gets bred. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that goes for a lot of things that there's just one guy doing or one guy focused in or one liner. Like um, I think Nick Mutton said on NPR is like he would bring a line so far back as far as he could until he reached like a dead person or some sketchy situation. So it's like, even if you're trying to document your animals, you're going to get, you're going to bump into a dead guy or a sketchy situation. Um, and so in terms of like what you shouldn't cross or what I wouldn't cross, it's tough to say because like I said, I would try and do um, as much as I could to make sure that the animals got represented as what they were. 
but at the same time, you can't guarantee that. And so, I don't know. I I would ideally say I would keep my bread lie pure, even though I have a project in mind that I'll be working on that would, in theory, be crossing them. Oh no! What is? <laughs> what's your theory? Can we can we get in on your? Theory? Well, it's not anything secret. Like it's been done in uh, other countries, but like the uh, hypo bread lie jags like those are just really hot um but what happens to the animals that are not jags that could pass as pure bread lie like do you feed them to your kribo or are you greedy and do you uh, sell them uh, the one thing i hate is the jag sibling thing right no that is uh, you know the jungle jag sibling no that's a jungle coastal that's not a jag sib that's a cross, right. bro. You're not telling people the whole story, in my opinion. Yep. In fact, people who don't know would think, oh, I bought a Jag Sib, so when does it turn to a Jag? Right. <laughs> because they don't know. They're like, oh, I saw this Jag, so I bought a Jag Sib. Like, when does it, you know, and they don't know. It's not their fault that somebody misled them um, or maybe didn't explain in detail and just kind of beat around the bush and sold the animal. Yeah. What would you what would you do, I guess, in that situation? Um I don't know. That's a tough one because I guess in in reality, it only matters if say those animals are bred again. So you can make let's say I make a 75% bread lie, 25% coastal and I want to sell it as 100% bread lie, which I would never do. But let's say I wanted to do that. It only really matters if the person buying it has ambitions of breeding it. You know, if it got sold to someone at a pet shop, and which, again, I wouldn't advise, um, not my um, mindset, but if somebody bought it as a pet, in reality, there's no real harm in that. But you can't guarantee it. What happens when they want to sell it and the person who buys it from them has ambitions of breeding it and it gets bred. That's the unknown is truthfully the problem because you can't guarantee it. Um, so yeah, I know I'll get a lot of shit for this, but I would probably Kribo them. Um, and anyone who would be insensitive to that, it's like we could breed feeder rodents for our snakes, you know, a living mammal, uh, a life, whether you value it or not but we can't breed snakes for food um, makes no sense to me, especially snakes that eat snakes. It's not like I'm getting the snake and I'm stuffing it inside a mouse and feeding it back to its parent or something disgusting like that. It's this snake happens to eat snakes. I know people have so. probably heard me talk about this too much, but there is no hierarchy <laughs> to the life of, you know, it's still eating an animal, whether it's a mouse, whether it's a snake, whether it's, a chicken. I don't know what the hell it's eating, See, I, but it's. And like, I always disagree with you. There's no hierarchy. Just because we there's like snakes doesn't mean it's any more a, of a life no, than a mouse. No, I'm, okay. But every life is valued on some thing. Besides so, the mice that we feed off every single. No, week. no, 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 no. But okay. I, they they don't have no value. They have a value because they feed our snakes. But I'm saying there's no way to my shit's on. Okay. Um. You, I don't. I don't think you can They're say There's just it. a less than value? Yes, yes. And he's saying there's yeah. he's saying there's no real hierarchy to anything unless the hierarchy If something dies, it dies. Stop. 
unless the hierarchy we place on it, but I'm like, we place everything on every, there's no nothing unless humans make it. So I don't, I feel like that argument is flawed because there's no nothing unless humans did it. Well, there's but it's no, a self-centric view of what a human is, right? So we're better than everything, everything. And then it's a hierarchy but that we, goes down, but it's not we true. Make, we all die. Hum, we, we humans make everything. There's no science unless we said there's science. We 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 discovered it. We did all that shit. There's, that doesn't exist unless we discovered it and did all that. So uh, the the we we did it all. So the hierarchy we make yeah. is because we made it. We make it all. Right. So I don't think you can say there's no. Uh, there so is why a can't hierarchy. you backtrack and say, hey, maybe like there is a hierarchy. The shit eat shit eat shit eat shit. That's yeah, the hierarchy. So, he, so then, shit. if you would, That's if you would then based on that. And I'm not trying to attack you, Melissa. But <laughs> Go for just it. Want, I, I just want to make a point. So if you would say that, most people would say, like, if you have the option to to save um, a mouse or a human baby, both in the middle of the road, most people would choose the human baby, right? Right. Innocent life. Mouse. And it's a human. <laughs> and so most would say, we have this idea that humans are the top. Because that, that human can eat that mouse. Right. So then one would say, if if a human wanted to cook and prepare mice for themselves to eat, nobody would care. Nobody would bat an eye. And if they wanted to eat a snake, it would be different for snake owners because they would be like, oh, don't eat that snake. Um, but then would you draw the line for like, don't eat that horse, but you could eat that cow? Dude, even I though we're at the end of the day, see, we're at, at the end of the day, we're saying we're the top. All other animals are below us. So why should it matter whether we're going to eat a dog, a cat, or a horse or a cow? But if we're the top, it's hard because put the constraints. If I'm starving, I'll eat the cutest fucking cuddliest dog in the goddamn world. If I need to eat, <laughs> if I need to eat to stay alive, I will eat our dog we have in our apartment right now. Oh, how dare you! I would eat you. I would kill you and eat you and feed it to her. Like at the end of the day, we. I mean, yes. Like a freaking lion can kill me and eat me. And so, if you want to say in that sense, like, but like. At, we as humans and will like kill we'll kill each other to eat to stay alive. And like, like Dan said in the chat, he's like, Well, there's cultural differences, of course. Like in Asian countries, it's not taboo to eat ants, dogs, whatever the hell. Cats in Europe, I think shit, they like, eat horses more so than we would. And I mean, yeah, like that's that's the hard part is like to define hu- to bring human nature to one single point as like defining that hierarchy is also really hard like you said like i don't think you can bring humans to that one well we're point. as humans we're keeping snakes in little boxes so we're <laughs> fucking shit up anyway <laughs> i keep mine in big boxes okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um i don't know i think like i i used to have a job in uh the meat industry in a meat department and so in doing like research, being well read on the matter, or somewhat well read on the matter, um, I always just argue I'm down for humane slaughter of any animal. If you're going to eat it, I, I, I would want it to be humanely slaughtered. That's what it comes down to. When you do research on other countries and how they eat some of these other animals that we would consider our friend or our pet, um, if it's not being humanely euthanized, it just sucks. And that's period. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think that there's something to be said for, um, I mean, just feeding other snakes to other snakes. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Or, I mean, snake. I I hate honestly when I see snakes that are severely disfigured or any animal for that matter. Like I used to volunteer at this reptile rescue. It only happened once because I was like super disturbed with what I saw. But it's like this metabolic bone disease that was so bad and this bearded dragon that you could totally tell that it couldn't walk it couldn't do anything like they were basically giving it like hand feeding it crickets like yeah all right this is no quality of life for this animal to live there's a certain point to where the quality of life is so bad it's better off euthanized than trying to keep it alive because in the wild that thing wouldn't last a day i mean at some point something else would grab it yeah, I mean, at some point, you got to draw a line and say, hey, like, this is, it's actually better for the animal to be euthanized at this point. Same with humans. <laughs> Same with humans. Whoa. That's Whoa, bad. deep. <laughs> Let's stay on reptiles. <laughs> Sorry. Don't believe in vegetables. Murder. I don't believe in vegetables, but this, this video will get shared real fast all across the internet if we talk about humans <laughs> being euthanized. <laughs> What the fuck are we talking sorry, about? Let's sorry, get back. sorry, sorry. I, I gotta go. Sorry, guys. Bye. <laughs> We're trying to reel this one back in. Uh, so jungles, are they the same as coastals <laughs> no, or let's do, what? No, do bread lie. We haven't, I feel like we haven't totally jumped into the bread lie. Oh, yeah. So do you still keep bread lie to this day? Yes. Awesome. Um, also, I let me posted... give you points for calling it. Oh, wait. Never mind. Brettles, bread line. I was about to say, I actually like brettles better, but I like you for sticking. Some people switch back and forth, and that makes me mad. I like you, that you call it like bread line the bread whole time. Brettles. <laughs> brettles. Bread There's people who call them like breadly or breadleys. Mm, no. Like, mm-mm, mm-mm. like <laughs> if, if you have researched anything, most things are the person who discovered it. It's their last name with an I added. Yeah, which is so, so funny. But <laughs> So when I discover something... Um, it'll just be called cat's eye. There you go. <laughs> I like that. That works. Um, yes, I still work with bread lie. Um, I guess as Melissa would call it shameless plug. I just uploaded a video yesterday <laughs> on, uh, my bread lie ovulating and talk a little bit about that. Um, so I put that up on my YouTube channel yesterday. Um, she ovulated on June 1st, just before I left for my trip. And so I had to film it real fast and then edit the video and upload it. But I kept it like on private for a week. So that way I could go add my tags and like properly share it because my YouTube channel following is still kind of small. So I didn't want to just upload it there. (laughs) So everyone go follow Um, him right now. Yeah. Yeah, please. At at SBK Reptiles on like everything. Damn. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. (laughs) Shit. Yeah. Don't expect a lot more because we have a small <laughs> YouTube following too. So it's okay. I'll share it, and then maybe each of us could give each other like two followers. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I totally got you off track. You mean you mean there aren't a million people watching us right now? Sorry uh, to tell you there's only 17 <laughs> watching you right now. Okay. <laughs> but they're engaged. Thank you. Thank you guys for being here. Also, I realized we forgot to tell him that before in our little pre-talk that anytime you see me 
not looking at you. It's because I'm looking at the chat that's over here. And we brought up, we said like- They talk about, if you think we're talking about killing humans and stuff, they're talking about worse stuff most of the time. So, <laughs> and so like when we- What are they calling me? <laughs> <laughs> well, they know a weird amount about your collection, though. There's another question that I want to ask. Yeah. And I, it's too far but, like, out. It, but. Also, anytime I said like, Dan said this or someone said this, it's like because it's coming from the chat. Earlier, uh, Brandon Wheeler of Morelia House said like blasphemy about the shit. Oh, he said, yeah, he said red lie, rough scales. He said blasphemy. <laughs> Brandon Wood. That's funny. Um, yeah, Brandon's a very cool guy. I was watching that podcast that you guys did with him. Um, what was it? Just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that was a fun one. Um, so, yes. Yeah, sorry. Cool guy. The hell Carpet Fest about? was at his house. Sorry. Yeah. So, <laughs> if we bring up the chat ever again, it, that's what's going on. And that's what I'm halfway doing. But about your brettles and your trip and go. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> Back into it. Uh, the bread lie. So I have a pair of normals, um, a genetic striped female, and just sold the male. Um, a pair of stonewashed, a het female stonewashed, and a male hypo that we'll see. Um, it's kind of a secret project, but Ooh. maybe he sired a clutch with um, a genetic striped female. So maybe we'll see. Um, and so I will for sure have normal babies. Well, I will have a clutch of eggs from my normal female this year. I would assume they would be fertile because I saw the male lock up with the female, but I don't like to count my chickens before you know I get them. So it's one step at a time. I will get eggs this year for my bread lie. Um, I'll see that once they're laid, if they're fertile or not. And then if they are, I would, in theory, have babies. In theory. But <laughs> life happens. And <laughs> so I don't like to, like, the other reason is, like, if I just say, like, I'm going to have bread lie this year, like, that sounds kind of cocky and, like, that's not what I'm about. Um, and life happens. What happens if my incubator takes a dump or, you know, something happens, there's a fluke thing, I mix the vermiculite wrong, um, any number of things could happen, that's just the truth, and so, yeah. And I like think you can on the say that side. with some species, like, uh, we're gonna have corns this year, like, before, yeah, yeah, before like we, have we no had problem. the eggs, I was like, <laughs> I can promise you we're gonna have corns, but I feel like bread, brettles, bread lie, or, you know, you, well, python eggs in general, you gotta kind of, you know, err on the side of caution, like, oh, I did what I thought was right, I did, you know, I checked all my T's, caught, shit. <laughs> well, yeah. dotted all my Z's, all right, let's go. <laughs> yeah, dotted all my her, Z's. <laughs> let her talk. Uh, yeah. yeah, I feel like you can do all that you felt that you were supposed to do and still come up unlucky with bread lie. Right. Um, yeah, I could see how that would happen and like to not sound cocky, but I would argue and this for anyone, not just me, like if you bred it once, you should be able to do it again. Like if you're not keeping notes or keeping track of what you did to be successful, um, you should be. And so in theory, you know, having produced them in the past, I should do it again this year. And again, not trying to sound cocky, just trying to really promote that you should one, kind of have confidence in yourself, but two, know what you did. It shouldn't be this blind thing of like, how the heck did I get eggs? I didn't know I had two, uh, you know, a male and a female. I thought I had two boys. 
like stuff like that, you know? Let's not talk that. I get asked that about every day on Instagram. How do I incubate these eggs? They just showed up. I don't know. Let's not get into that. You you know who the, when people talk about like, oh, are you a professional snake breeder? This and that is like, no, you know who the professionals are? The people who didn't even know they had a pair and they got the biggest clutch. Perfect clutch. No slugs. No slugs. Uh You're the Houdinis of, you know. Right. And they always are the ones who produce the new morph. It's like always somebody who has a small collection, like they have two snakes and they were given to them. They didn't even want them, stuff like that. Yeah. It's not fair. Talking, getting back on course, which we're really, <laughs> really bad at doing, if you haven't noticed. Um, bread lie. <laughs> um, what do you want to see together? Meaning, are you going to put G-Stripe with Stonewash or G-Stripe with Hypo or Hypo with Stonewash, all that other stuff? Uh, where do you see your project going? I see it all. I want to see it all is what I should say. I want to see I Stonewash I, G-Stripe because what the fuck happens there? Right. I think that would be dope if we could get like that Stonewash pattern all the way head to tail because of the genetic stripe gene. Um, unfortunately, like history has shown us, some genes don't work well together. Like a friend I was talking to on the phone just yesterday, um, Zebra Jag is a really cool combo. Like, I don't think that'll ever get old. Um, Granite Jag tends to look really cool. But if you do Granite Zebra, uh, you can't even tell that it's a Granite Zebra. Like there's people struggling to figure out, you know, if you made a Granite Zebra or not. Whereas a super zebra granite looks really badass well you can't get there without making a granite zebra but you can't tell you made a granite zebra (laughs) so to say like genetic stripe uh stonewash i think it'll be dope but who knows it might clash and that would suck but only time will tell um i really want to see like a uh hypo genetic stripe uh stonewash yeah Uh, that'll be dope I think the big thing is to get, because the G-Stripe, I feel like, naturally makes them a little bit duller as far as color goes, for whatever reason. I don't know if you agree. You might totally disagree, but I would love totally to see Totally 100% agree. Okay, good. <laughs> I would love to see Hypo in it so we can see a nice, bright, genetic stripe bread lie. Yes, would agree with that. Hopefully it does that. Um, if you look at things... I'll keep it to carpet pythons or Morelia specifically. A lot of the striped stuff tends to be on the darker scale. <clears throat> Excuse me. Why is that? I couldn't tell you. I'm not a scientist, but I've noted it. Um, I have friends who are trying to make like tiger caramels. And if you got a really light caramel, the tiger striping was really crappy. If you got a really nice striped um, animal, the caramel was not that great. It was a caramel, but it wasn't that bright. Whereas Xanthic Tigers are a really clean, cool, hot combo. But the Xanthic gene would be on the darker scale, you know, um, and the Tiger gene as well. So we'll see what happens in mixing hypo with genetic stripe. But I would agree, genetic stripe, is a darker bread lie. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why there's genetic stripes out there and they're about the same as a regular bread lie as far as price-wise. And it was like, oh, these are cool, but it's like, yeah, they're clearly a little bit duller. And um, 
I just think it's crazy that there's animals that, I mean, like you said with the caramel, it's like you, the caramel tiger or whatever you're talking about, like actually the less good the caramel is, the better it looks. And then it's like you breed it the next generation and then you're kind of fucked for that next generation. But it's like, I don't know, that's weird just how the genes play with each other. Right. Just some stuff goes really well together and some stuff doesn't. And I don't know, I guess you'd have to be a scientist to understand why. Yeah. We need to get Travis <laughs> Wyman. We need to ask him how that works. We have so many Travis Wyman questions. We could have a whole like segment on the podcast, like, oh, we asked Travis this, like the Travis we question like, of be the able week, to, like Bing him in or something. Bing him in. Yeah, what like press a little Bing button in and there he is. Bing him in. Like phone a friend. Like like beam him in. You beam, know? not beam. Well, that too. <laughs> you said bing. I said bing the, the first time, bing. but I changed it to beam. Okay, I like phone a friend. Yeah. Okay, cool. We end up like texting him after, or he'll text us like after he's watched the podcast. I'm like, here you go. Here's my answer to this. Um, and it's, like, just tell me how I'm wrong, and I'll try to do better. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are in that circle. You guys got the connection. We got the smart people. Some the we smart can't person. hang in it. But... Smart person. <laughs> we can't. Hang in it. <laughs> we can't have back and forth conversations <laughs> yeah. with him. It's Most, more it's a very one sided like just him. Just tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> Are you guys just like this? Yeah. 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 Exactly when we had the podcast with him, that's that was my expression the whole time. Or like <sighs> Like I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like one of those. Yeah. Need to get smarter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what um obviously we talked about bread lie. So we gotta talk about coastals. Um, you have no pure coastals. What do you have that's not Dis. pure? What kind of weird IJ stuff do you have with coastals? I have a granite jag female. Um, she bred for the first time for me this year. Her babies just hatched um, the other day. Did you artificial uh, on those? I did artificial because I was out of town for those. Okay. Um, so that's a granite jag. I paired her with an azanthic male. So... I have jags and siblings <laughs> that are double-headed xanthogranic. Um, so they're normals. At least they're het um, for xanthic, so there's some distinction or something. They're het for both xanthic and granite. Um, so I have those, and then I have a super zebra jag female that somebody like once asked, like, Oh, how could you guarantee that it's also Jag? And I was like, all right, I'll breed it and prove it just for you. Sure enough, it proved out. Uh, part of that is like buying from a reputable breeder. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I talked That's about that. I, I said it in my video. I was like, well, it does that yeah. when it should just kind of cruise around. <laughs> so I've heard of the issues of like the pigtail and stuff on Super Zebras. Have you seen that or... What are the chances of getting a pigtailed or, you know, a less undesirable animal from a super zebra, do you know? I mean, it depends on what one would consider less than. Um, if you breed zebra to zebra, I would say, assume it's like jag, you're going to have neuro animals. Um, you're going to get kinked tails. How bad will that be? Well, there are some people who have had kinks that go just about all the way up to the vent. And so if it's a male, you're screwed because like, you know, what are you going to do? Um, if it's a female, you know, there are 
some things that you could have done, like take it to a vet to have the vet um, cut off the end in simple terms. Um, you could also have, I hatched a animal that had a curl at the very tip of the tail. And then not very far off of that, it was like, I don't know, a 180 degree angle. Um, and so it just kind of looked weird, but it was technically two different kinks. And so I just, you know, had it, um, you know, had to take it in and have it removed and it was just fine. Um, you obviously want to do that when it's younger versus when it's older. Um, and there was no issues with that. So do you think that it's more of a problem in your males rather than your females since the kinks should go up where the hemipenes would be? I think it would be, yeah, it would be more of a problem if it, you know, went as high as like the hemipenes because then they would be, excuse me, twisted up as well or maybe kinked or altered in some form. But if it was a female, you could probably go, excuse me, sorry, um, remove it like just about right up to the vet. Like I said, that would need, you know, vet consultation, but I would assume that you could probably remove it right up to the vent just about. So how does that work? Does it get cut off and cauterized or is it just like you put spacitration tracing on it or put an ointment on it? What do you do? No, I'm, I'm sure just in a sterile environment, he just like snipped it, whether it been with, um, probably even nail clippers or, um, you know, like a scalpel. Um, and then he just said, keep it on paper towel, keep it clean. And, um, the first day it looked like a bloodbath. Like you would think like, how did this, like, what, <laughs> how is the snake still alive? It just looks awful. Um, and the next day, you know, there's not as much blood. And so I was changing obviously the whole tub that it was in, you know, I didn't want dry blood in there to get, you know, uh, start growing bacteria, stuff like that. So, you know, I changed it. And then after that, I was changing the paper towel probably about twice a day because it wasn't rubbing all over the tub anymore. And how long does it take something to heal up like that? Um, so I don't remember if I had that done before or after this first shed. I think it was after the first shed and that's how I decided to do it. Um, oh, but this thing was a straight baby. That was, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I produced it, and um, I'm pretty sure I waited for the first shed. The reason I waited is because some, even though their tail's kinked, um, it'll come off, and it won't be a problem, or you could gently pick it off. There are some that are so kinked that it'll stay on there, and long-term, it'll get infected because that new growth is happening inside, and it's you know that rubber band effect just like a regular tail if you left uh, shed skin on. And so now thinking about it, yeah, it was, it was probably after the first shed and I saw that there was issues, took it in, had it removed. And then, um, it started eating and after technically it's second shed, it was, you know, just a little, uh, nub that was barely notice noticeable. And now you can't even really tell you have to look very closely. So now obviously you must have uh, a zebra to a zebra to, to pair up or is there other things in play there as well as far as well obviously there may be granite in play 
So I don't work with the granite zebra stuff. Um, I did zebra to zebra this year and didn't hit on any supers. Um, How many eggs did you have? Um, I think I had like 16 and I think like seven went bad. So that was quite a bit. That's probably the most I've ever had go bad. Um, and there are talks of what would be the super zebras end up, you know, dying off I was gonna, um, that's, during development. That's 50% almost. So that would make 100%, right. you know, sense. If... Right. Um, yeah, exactly. And so, um, I'm, I'm always big on, you know, if stuff goes bad, especially something like that, where I've hatched perfectly healthy clutches before. And that was quite a bit to loss or to lose. Um, the previous owner of that pair told me, you know, oh, expect quite a bit to go off this pairing every time, you know, quite a bit die off. And I was like, nah, like that just sounds crazy. Sure enough, it happened. Um, you know, but I still will like take responsibility. Like I did something wrong. Maybe I mixed the vermiculite right or wrong, excuse me, too dry or too wet. You know, that's just kind of how I am. Um, so no super zebras that I will be producing this year. Um, and then my other zebra female, I bred to my profile male. Um, and so ideally, I'll make some really bright zebras this year because that male throws nothing but like A1 babies. And I've bred him to... Um, like four different females now and he has yet to let me down wow so um let's i was gonna say i was i'm thinking of even breeding him like to an ij just to see what would happen like something that extreme um yeah i know (laughs) my ijs not my ijs (laughs) so um i guess backtrack a little because I think you have more things than I originally thought. How big is your collection altogether? Um, I don't know. I don't keep count because I always say, like, if you keep count, like, then you're a hoarder. And so <laughs> I produce around, I think, 130 babies a year um, for the – and it's just Morelia, so it's not that much. Um, I don't know. I have every gene except for – um, caramel and hypo and the azanthic line of postals. Um, but yeah, I have zebras, super zebras, uh, granites. I have jags, combinations of those and stonewash and hypo and, um, I don't know, quite a few, but my collection is still a lot smaller than some of these other guys. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do as a day job and how do you balance snakes and that? So I don't sleep well. Um, I work for LA County. Um, so me not sleeping well, like having insomnia, it just works because I clean snakes late at night. And, uh, then my neighbors think I'm crazy because like, they probably think I'm a tweaker or something, a fat tweaker somehow. Like, why is his, (laughs) why is he cleaning and dumping stuff in the trash can at like two, three in the morning? Um, but I always say, I think not sleeping well has helped me because I'm really on my snakes. Snakes are nocturnal and I'm constantly checking on them throughout the night. I check on them before I go to work. When I get home from work, um, sometimes I'll be able to come home for like my lunch break, check on them then, 
um, checking on them before I go to bed or try to go to bed and then, you know, middle of the night stuff. Um, and so I almost always witness every single one of my breeding females ovulate. I pretty much always catch a lock between, you know, the pair I'm pairing up and almost always catch the female laying eggs, but I'm checking on them a lot. Um, there's a lot of people who have been breeding longer than me and have yet to see their female ovulate or lay eggs. Yeah. So it's, it's helped me in that sense. Benefits to not sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it. Otherwise, yeah, I could use more sleep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's wild, but I mean, it makes so much sense as far as, I mean, for me, it would be like you probably get bit a lot more often, too, because it's like I go into my carpets during the day and you're good. If you go in at night or the green trees, especially, you're pretty fucked. Or you're like, but that's like green trees. I don't know. The carpets, like I always say, like right around a year and a half or the time they're eating small rats, they calm down quite a bit. Um, I'll have to make a YouTube video about how I pick up my snakes. They're almost always ready to go. And it's not that they're mean. They're just saying, leave me alone. I'm afraid of you. I'm smaller than you. That's all it really comes down to. They're not biting and wrapping you. It's not a food response. They're biting and letting go and biting you 10 more times before you can pull away. <laughs> um, and so I put my palm out and I cover their head and then pick up their entire body and then just move slow with them. And maybe once or twice, they'll like strike at the air because, you know, they got touched on their side and they just struck, you know, out of fear. Uh, but for the most part, I don't get tagged luckily. And that's just kind of partially using a hook for some stuff. And then other stuff, like just don't touch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's some snakes where it's like, he never gets used to me. Like my jungle no never point. gets used yeah, to me. Never gonna happen. He is just the worst but he's the best also but i did make a youtube video on how to pick up your carpet python or your bitey animal and he bit me during the uh, time, another so. shameless plug oh yeah <laughs> sorry so sorry but uh you kind of hinted on it throughout the the thing and talking about the rotation of cages and stuff do you keep in tubs or in cages and then also how exactly do you go about like what you're talking about the rotations much earlier. Um, so I do both. I do a combination. So my most recent uh, cage oh, cage addition was a um, vision rack. They're boa tubs, the ones that are just like the biggest one they make. And I absolutely do not like it and do not advise anyone getting it. The reason being is it's just such a huge tub that you have to pull out and it takes up so much space, like pulling it out, balancing the snake in there, the water bowl in there and any hide caves or branches that you have in there. Um, and then having, you know, space behind you. Cause most of us, if you don't have a specific reptile room or something like that, you have other stuff behind you. But if you do, I, I'm trying to cram as many reptiles as I can into a small area. So I got more cages behind me, um, stuff like that. And so these tubs are difficult to take out, to truly clean. And I'm talking about truly clean, disinfect, bleach, soak, um, stuff like that versus just kind of pulling out paper and maybe using a paper towel and wiping it down. Um, and so that's a pain in the butt. Whereas 
actual cages that I also have, um, like some of the four and five footer uh, melamine cages that I use, I could spray inside the cage and wipe it down and it's, you know, easy peasy. I'm not pulling this giant thing out to clean it. Um, so I like both. I like to use tubs um, and small, small hatchling tubs for my babies and then just grow them up and move them. In terms of how I decide when I'm going to rotate through things, um, I don't know. It would be probably like just before breeding season, just after breeding season. So anywhere from twice a year to three times a year, probably tops, like once every four months. And I'm, even though I know what my collection consists of, I'm treating everything. And this is what I would personally advise. Like from one snake to the next, one of them is sick with something. Just because you've had them for years doesn't mean you should just be rotating cages like if they're both healthy. That's how, if you happen to get something, it's going to spread very mm -hmm. fast and wipe out your entire collection. So I disinfect everything really well, like if it's in quarantine, and then I do the cage switch. That is something that I forgot to ask you very specifically. When the IJs come in, um, are you giving the antibiotics, and how long are you quarantining, and what are you doing to make sure that they're good to go? So to keep costs down, um, and in talking to the people who are getting them from me, it's not people who are buying their first carpet python, stuff like that. It's all people who are experienced no proper quarantine, stuff like that. Even though they know it, I like um, I make in my posts, you can look on my page, treat these as if they're wild-caught animals, treat them like if they're sick, quarantine them, and you're going to do all the tests. Um, I'm keeping costs low. Sometimes, um, depending on who it is or what the particular deal pertains um, to um, some stuff I'm feeding once. And if it eats, it's getting sent out to, you know, it's designated home and that's how we're keeping the cost so low. Um, other stuff is I'm getting it and then shipping it to you and same thing. So um, some of the stuff has like my, that I, my wild caught ones or farmed ones, that I've tested all of the farmed ones so far have tested clean, but just because they have tested clean doesn't mean you shouldn't assume. Um, just before breeding, I uh, I have them tested again because I've heard of people working with bull and I that at three years of age showed problems, and sure enough, they tested dirty for something. Um, and so the the farmed babies have tested clean. And wild caught babies as or not wild caught wild caught animals as of recently have tested positive for hookworms, um, and so you would just do the proper um, treatment for that. But it's something that I would say everything gets anything that comes into my collection I treat with Frontline, and so I have that video. I don't know if you guys have seen it, um, and that takes care of external parasites. Internal you have to test for, and so you. You don't know until you test for it. Okay, so you're not one of those guys. You just hit it with flagell and then you're good. But, I mean, at least you're not, you know, selling to pet. You know, you're not at your local reptile show selling them to pet owners, really. Correct. Um, my argument for the flagell thing, I used to be one of those guys when I first got into it and not knowing any better, not doing research, um, you know, like uh, respiratory infection, just hit it with uh, Batril, you know, and you, you weigh the snake, you do the the measurements, blah, 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 and this should fix it. Except that 
sometimes there are underlying issues that we don't know about that maybe Batril would be the fix for them and you just made it um, resistant to Batril and you made it stronger. And before you know it, we're going to run out of antibiotics. Um, that's what's happening with humans right now is they no longer want to just give you antibiotics to fix your problem. They want to do culture and sensitivity. And so that's what I would advise for reptiles is don't do the shotgun treatment. It's going to be more detrimental in the long run. And I can imagine medicine in snakes is going a lot slower on the antibiotic front <laughs> than with humans. So that seems like something you should worry about. Right. And I mean, I haven't had many snakes come back well from Batril when I've had it. Luckily, when I've the last two years, we haven't had anyone. But I mean, most of the snakes that I've treated have been kind of like, I don't know how to say it right, but like tampered with since like they were never fully healthy animals. But that's just me, I guess. But I don't yeah, Batril could be an interesting one. I don't know if anyone really has a positive story for Batril because they need to retreat two or three years later. And it's like, is it the same problem or is it a new problem? And so, I don't know. It could be an interesting one. I have a love-hate relationship with Batril for that reason. And I mean, I've certainly seen like the site necrosis and, you know, the brown spots and stuff from injecting them with it and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's definitely something that you don't just do as a precaution. It should be probably more thought out. Yeah, um, I guess I'm kind of spoiled. My local vet, I mean, he's not super local. I make a drive. Um, it's like a 40-minute drive. And that's if there's no traffic. With traffic, oh, my God. <laughs> it's terrible. Is there um, such thing as no traffic but, where you are? Right. Yeah, that is true. Um, his name is Dr. Greek. He's in Yorba Linda. Um, and so he kept reptiles before he came, became a vet. So he's not just this DVM that will happen to see your reptile. He's somebody who kept reptiles and happened to become a DVM. Um, so I'm spoiled in that sense because I'm constantly saying, go see a vet, go see a vet. And then people tell me, like, I went and saw a vet and was overcharged and my animal died and this and that. And so there's that area of gray. But I would say just just because you had a bad experience with one doesn't mean you should just say all vets for reptiles are bad. You know, do your research. It may take a while. Um, find one that maybe doesn't know a lot about animals, but will take your word and read articles that or contact other vets and then just write you the prescription. But they did the research to see, oh, you're not lying. You're not trying to just get Batril for yourself. This is something that'll fix the animal. Oh, okay. Let me write you the prescription. And then they learn for the future, um, how to solve a problem. Um, a lot of people are, I guess, afraid to talk to a vet that maybe doesn't know and throw that out there. Hey, check out this. Hey, contact this vet for a consult, um, stuff like that. It's, the worst that will happen is your vet say no. Yeah, I think that that's it's lit. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I tried to make it brighter. And I think I that failed. that's like understated as far as um you really got to ask at least the way i went about it is ask people who have large collections who have the snakes that you keep and be who do you go and trust to as a vet otherwise it's like honestly the amount of people who are certified to take care of reptiles and don't know 
shit about reptiles is almost scary. Like, agreed. <laughs> it's, it's, and to take it like one step further, it's kind of like when I talk to my friends in the zoo um, who work at different zoos and they're like, well, this is how we have to keep this animal because the higher ups say, but truthfully, this is how we should keep the animal. And it's just a political game when it comes down to it. Um, and it kind of sucks. That's so, yeah, disappointing because you want to you wanna say those people are on the top of their game as far as what they're keeping in their husbandry. But it's just, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but so what are you getting into their closing? What? Oh, oh. Nothing. What were you going to ask? No, I wasn't going to ask. I was just, it sounded like you were saying you were about to ask another question and we're past oh, our yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Getting in <laughs> to our closing here, like, what do you envision as far as what are your hopes for this season and the future for SBK Reptiles? Um, my, the project I'm most excited for was actually a uh, F1, F1 animal uh, that I paired with a farmed hatched um, animal. Both are IJs, both are, I guess, one is well documented, the other I am. I had imported and I'm trying to make a really nice striped IJ. Both of them have striping. One has a thicker lateral stripe and the other one has more of a pinstripe stripe. Um, and so that's what I'm most excited for. I want to try and, you know, work with that. And um, I think that'll be one of the coolest projects personally, even though I will have other projects that'll be valued as more. Um, also want to do like the brighter jungle stuff. Awesome. So, so if people, well, I guess we got to <laughs> ask the future question, okay. um, the future of it, would you ever want to do this as a full-time job? And then also, where do you see yourself branching out? If you are going to branch out from Morelia, where you are now, um, as a future job, I don't know. I always, yeah, it would be cool in one sense, but at the same time, um, if I was doing this to make a living and like bills were depended on, if it comes down to personal financing, um, but let's say I wasn't doing well, who knows? Maybe I'd slash prices, which would hurt the market, hurt someone else's project. Um, I, would I have to sell a prized uh, breeder animal that you know I didn't want to? Um, stuff like that all pop into my head it's all things that i think about and so i would like to just kind of keep it a hobby grow it maybe some more but then when it's a hobby i think it seems more fun it's not work then um even though anyone who has a decent sized collection knows how much work goes into it but it's still fun you know picking up that snake poop picking up the snake it's fun yeah <laughs> um yeah in terms of branching out I don't know, black-headed pythons and womas, <laughs> but they're still yes, Australian. Yes, 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 do it, do it. <laughs> so I could see myself doing that, but they're still Australian, so. Yeah, but that's still branching out, and that sucks because you just brought that up, and I was like, you went to Australia, didn't you? I did. Oh, damn it. We could talk about that next time. That was amazing. Okay, yeah. That's Did you find blackheads or womas? Were you in, you know? Found a blackheaded python. No yes. Way. Found two different locality scrubs and a gelatin jungle carpet python. Two of them. Fuck. So that seems like a 
I mean, blackheads are more in the central area of Australia, right? Um, I couldn't tell you exactly. They're all around. All I could tell you is that we drove many hours throughout Australia. We did a lot of miles. Oh, excuse me. A lot of kilometers. <laughs> um, and so we covered a lot of ground in, I think it was like 10 days, 10, 11 days. It might have been 12. Um, but we did a lot of driving, talking about like one of the days we drove, I think, for eight hours straight. How didn't you just find a blackhead in the wild and then not get one immediately when you got um, home? So I'm very selective. I'm super picky. There are a ton of blackheads available. Most of them are males. Um, and then, as I mentioned in the beginning, anything I get, I have to get a pair of, which drives the price up. <laughs> and so um, I kind of want the azanthic blackheads. Dude, I those are nice. And I may be able to hook you up with a guy who's here who may not be nationally known if you were interested, but dude, he has these fucking, he has Xanthix, but he also has these Swiss line. Um, I guess it'd be Westerns. We pumped this guy up on our podcast. So often. often. We want them. The most beautiful fucking things I've ever seen. And since then I'd be like, I got to I got to do it. Are you going to say his name or are you going to message that to me? Yeah, or? No, I mean, he doesn't want to be on the podcast, but I think he'd be fine he's, with us he's saying not a very his public, name. He's a, kind of an older school guy. He's uh, Shit, Split for, Rock. Yeah, Split Rock Reptiles. Well, his card's here somewhere. But Split Rock Reptiles, he's in uh, Dallas. Or, no, no, he's in Houston. What's his name? He's in Houston, I believe. Houston. Shit, no, I can't find but, his card. Uh, but yeah, Split Rock Reptiles. But he just has, dude, just wild. I mean, and the thing is, it's like what we saw was what he brought to the show. So I feel like he he probably has even better like at his house or, you know, in his collection. But like just even at the show, gorgeous. Right. So there's the old pump up, the old, That's awesome. the old plug. All right. I'll check him out. Yeah. But if anyone wants to get in touch with you for some IJs or crazy zebra things. Uh, where can they find you? Uh, probably best place would be on Facebook. Um, shoot me a message on Facebook. Uh, send me a friend request. Any of those work at SBK Reptiles. Um, Instagram as well, Twitter, or what's the other one? Uh, YouTube. <laughs> the one you're Sorry. on right now. <laughs> yeah, like um. Uh, otherwise, you know, I always say. Feel free to give me a call if you have questions. Um, we can talk there. You can find my number um, on either of those pages. Um, and I'm always willing to help. So you feel free to ask questions. And if you want something uh, from my collection to add to yours, you know, that would be cool too. Okay, wait. I'm One sorry. more. I'm sorry we like said tell it, but our chat, everyone in the chat is like, okay, you'll have to ask this question. And I promise this will be the last one we have. Um, in the chat, they are asking why you are getting out of Inland. And how do they know that you're getting out of Inland? I didn't, I didn't even know. Is that, that Brandon? Well, no, not yeah, Brandon Well, his Wheeler. name is Brandon. He is Brandon. He's our secret Brandon. He's our secret Brandon. <laughs> and then Evan Browder, if you know who Evan is. They're uh, like, yes. yes, yeah. They're like, they're why is he, together, they're asking too. why you're getting out of Inland. Um, it's not so much that I'm getting out of them. 
as it is like I was just simply making space. Um, I had a couple people that were interested and they didn't end up buying them. And so it looks like they're going to stay. And so I'll just end up breeding them next year. They're really cool snakes. I didn't, like I said, I didn't want to sell them. I was just kind of making space and it wasn't a need. I think I put that like in the ad, like if they sell, they sell, but don't try and lowball me because I'm not, it's not like I need money, you know, you know, where you read a post, someone's like, Oh, my transmission, you know, died on yeah, me. I need yeah. a new transmission. So here's this $900 snake for $300. Right. Like it wasn't anything like that. It was just kind of like, I could use the more, more space, but since they're not selling and summer's now, I'll just slam them with food and breed them next year. Fuck yeah. So he's not getting out of it. Yeah. Let's change that. First day, but I'm not out. <laughs> Those are my favorite coastals if I was ever to get a coastal. And Brisbane's so are a second after that. But we are going oh, too loud, too, too loud, too loud, too loud. Okay. Jesus Christ. But thank you for staying past the two hours. Well, I guess Very technically welcome. we started late. So it yeah. might yeah, just no, it might like actually be right just now. about two hours. Um but yes, thank you so much. I think this is a great podcast yeah. and we loved having yeah. you on. Clearly we want to know about Australia, so we're gonna have you on again. Yeah, lots of stories to go with that, I promise. Like <sighs> it was such an awesome, amazing trip. Like it was definitely uh I don't know, some one for the books. And that was one of the things that I don't write things down, but I think before I'm like, we should hit on things. But we got too carried away with human babies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, human babies. <laughs> well, thank you guys for having me. And so I look forward to being on again and talking about Australia and other stuff. Thank of you. Course, also, thanks everyone who watched and who watched who watched and commented in the chat, and anyone else who downloads this later. This will be on SoundCloud, iTunes, and anywhere you can find podcasts by tonight ish, tomorrow morning ish, ish. Depending you know, how lazy or how ish, motivated I am. You know, we're about to get pizza after this, oh, so that shit. may you know make the motivation Ooh. a little bit lower. <laughs> uh, um, Do it for the seventeen people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it ends up being like a hundred at the end because the seventeen, the seventeen, not no, but like at the end of the podcast, you realize like the seventeen fluctuated in who they were. So like once we get out Bye of this nighters. and you go look at YouTube, it'll say like a hundred ish. So yeah. Uh, so like people like log on and they're like, oh, Steven, SPK reptiles, nah, and leave. <laughs> <laughs> Not you specifically. They're more like, oh, look at these fucking nerds. Well, We're out. Well, they get the notification. They're like, oh, there's no snakes. Bye. That's really what it is. It's like there's half our followers just want to look at snakes, and that's not what this is about. Um, but sorry, this is about snakes. It's not, but not at looking at snakes. Just looking at our stupid faces. Yeah, you know. Okay. Um, shit. Catch us shit. on next week here this time this day. <laughs> Maybe this time you never know. Don't call him. Okay, this day yeah, I can give you the. I can sometime. promise you it will be on Monday next week. And Evan just asked who's on next week, and I have vowed to don't not, announce. I it vowed to not announce out. it. Yeah, if I announce it, they're gonna drop out. 
So I'm not announcing anymore. So you just have to wonder and actually come I on. I don't even know who it is. So surprise to both yeah, of us. Yeah, also, I don't remember who's on next week. So um. surprise is me again. Just kidding. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> Australia. <laughs> I'm just okay. kidding, guys. Sorry. Okay. But yes, thank you everyone for watching. Brennan asks, is oh Nick Mutton? Uh. No, he won't fucking answer us. Sorry. Sorry, that we'll was a little anger. That was anger a little bit. Don't Let worry. me stop. Um, shit, I'm trying Jesus, to talk. Jesus, we're I'm not ending this, I'm trying to finish this. But I want to do a quick plug. Thank you for everyone for following us on Instagram and YouTube. <laughs> and if you want to, if you don't follow us, follow us on Instagram oh, at Port City Pythons, God. Facebook, Port City Pythons, YouTube, Port City Pythons. Do whatever The website want. is portcitypythons.com. I'm never letting you do intros and outros. Thank you. Again. Goodbye. <laughs> Later. <laughs> Does that brand is a disaster intro Shut up. or outro? Shut up. It's oh, your sorry. fault. Okay. Later. Steven, we are off air, oh, we are. but we're still on with you. Um, I want to thank you again for coming on. That was awesome. And no problem. Thank you guys. For general just putting up with us. Up yeah, with our ridiculousness. <laughs> no, I had a lot of fun. I was very chill and lax. That's what we 